Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
I'm thankful that I had a mama who took me to church, but not only that, she filled our home with beautiful music all of my life. I love you. And uh, Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings, that's how we would wake up at the Ligon House. She'd be practicing her offertory for Sunday morning. I miss those days. But anyway, 
because Amy don't play near as good as you do. I mean, I'm just telling you. I know, I know. If she can play, she sure can. Will you stand as we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us to heaven to live with thee there. If you know the song, Roger said he sung it before in church, the potter's hand. I want you to listen to the words as we sing. Take me. 
You know, Jason, if uh, you say much more about Amy, you might be able to hear Mama playing on Sunday mornings again. (laughs) Then you'll all just get your wish right there. (laughs) That was was beautiful, all jokes aside. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. So tonight... Wise men show us worship. Wise men show us worship. And for a few months now, we have been studying through the book of James. Uh, And and I believe based on the feedback that I've received that it's been a book that we have enjoyed as a congregation. We've been challenged uh, on so many levels by James. and, And we will continue and we will finish the fifth chapter of the book of James next year. Given that we were having our candlelight service next week and New Year's Eve, we won't have our normal evening service as we have uh, our game night and prayer service to bring in the new year on New Year's Eve. I did not want to dive into the next section uh, of the book of James, tear it wide open, get right in the middle of it, and then have two weeks off, come back and have to re-preach it so we could remember what we were talking about heading into the next section. This fifth chapter of James really needs to be preached in succession uh, so that we remember everything. And so I decided to to back out of James uh, through the end of this year. And so tonight uh, we're going to be looking to a subject related to Christmas and, and the Christmas story and hopefully we'll reveal a few things As we go through this, maybe we'll even have a good time just a little bit, particularly here at the beginning. Maybe we'll learn a little something. Uh, Now, some of you heard me to present a a message on the same text uh, two years ago, but tonight will be considerably different than that was two years ago. We'll be attacking it from a kind of a different place. Uh, And this evening, we look to the wise men. We look to the wise men in the Christmas story. And how they can show us something about our worship. How they can show us our worship. Now, the wise men, in and of themselves, are a pretty compelling uh, group of people. 
They are actually better known, the more proper term would have been Magi. They would have been called the Magi, and they would have came or come from the Persia, from the Persian Empire in the area of the world. Uh, They were actually astrologers. Most likely they were ones who studied stars and the skies, and by the term Magi, by the fact that that's what they're known as, uh, it tells us that they weren't just your average run-of-the-mill stargazers. These men were experts in their field. They had a commanding knowledge of astrology. They were some of the best in their fields. Uh, In fact, many in the Persian Empire would have looked upon the Magi as a priestly type, almost the way that we would look to a priestly type. And so we see that these guys are pretty important in the area of the world in which they live in Persia. Now, we have no idea exactly how many of these guys that there were. I know the popular story and the popular song suggests that there were how many? We three kings from the Orient are bearing gifts. We traveled so far. But, unfortunately, while it makes for a great song, the Bible doesn't tell us that there were three magi that came from Persia. It doesn't say that there were three wise men. The suggestion comes from the fact that the gifts that they bared were gold and frankincense and myrrh, and so the idea of the song and the popular story would be that each wise man carried a gift. One carried gold, one carried frankincense, one carried myrrh. But in fact, there may have been two wise men, one strapped down with all the gifts and one riding the horse telling him what to do. We don't know. There may have been 30 magi, and 27 of them were lazy and didn't carry anything They may have all had a little bit of all of it. Quite frankly, we just don't know how many of them there were. In fact, it's most likely that they weren't even at the manger the night that Jesus was born. I'm sorry to mess up your vision of your nativity scene. Those of you who are flashing back to your to your countertop at home going, well, wait a minute, now I got three wise men figurines and they're standing there looking at the baby Jesus. I do too, but there are a few things that point us to the belief that they were not there the night that Jesus was born to look upon him in the manger. One, they were following the star that appeared when Jesus was born. Now, those of you that are real good at planning out trips and times and travel, if you left Persia the day the star appeared, What are the odds you could get all the way to Bethlehem before that evening was over? Pretty slim, right? But I'll give you that one because, well, quite frankly, this was the God child born. God put on flesh to dwell among men, born laying in a manger. And if he wanted Persian magi to come from Persia to Bethlehem in a split second, they certainly could have done that. And that would have been possible. So we won't just go with that one. But... Let's look for a little further evidence. One thing we could see, those of you that remember, as Joseph and Mary went to present the baby Jesus in the temple, that would have taken place about 40 days after the birth of Jesus when Mary would have went through the cleansing process from the birth. She would have then went to present her baby in the temple because that's what they would have done as good Jewish people. How many people remember what sacrifice Mary and Joseph gave when they went to present the baby Jesus? (whistles) 
couple of doves maybe, something like that. It would have been the sacrifice that was acceptable for a poor person. Someone who did not have anything else would have been able to secure that sacrifice very inexpensively and presented that when they present the baby Jesus. Now, if Mary and Joseph had already been visited by the Magi and been in possession of the gold and the frankincense and myrrh, had they gone to present the baby Jesus and not presented those extravagant gifts, they would have been not doing what they were supposed to do. And the fact that they went to present Jesus tells us that they were devout in their worship and they would have done what they were supposed to do. We also see something in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 2. I'll read it to you real quick. It says, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And so we see in Matthew's depiction, when he talks about the Magi coming, he uses the word there in the Greek that translates to child, which generally means a toddler or something outside of the infancy stage. But in Luke 2, when we see the nativity story, the word that is used there is the word that means baby. And so we see in the two different translations, we see two different words used. Now, I don't think that Dr. Luke was that much more intelligent than Brother Matthew in his writing. I believe that they're talking about instances that took place two separate times. Furthermore, more compelling than that even in verse 11... Where does it say they had come into when they saw the young child? The house. The house. The wise men came to the home to see Jesus. It doesn't say and when they had come to the rock manger, when they had come to the stable cut into the cliff, when they had come to the inn that had no room and, and made their way to the animals. It says when they came into the house. Now, I know that as we start this message out, I have totally messed up somebody's view of their nativity scene. Now, I'm not telling you to go home, take the wise men out of your nativity scene, place them on the other side of the house, and move them a few steps closer each night until we get through Christmas. I'm not telling you to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I did mine today. I moved mine from the living room to my bedroom. I'm not going to let them get there until about February, but I don't, I'm not saying that it's unbiblical to have your nativity scene. I'm not saying we should change our Christmas plays to no longer have the wise men there. I'm not saying that, you know, we, we don't have to do any of that. We're not being sacrilegious or heretical by having the wise men there. I don't think it's a big deal because they did, in fact, see Jesus. They did, in fact, bring gifts, and praise God, we live under the grace of God and not under the Pharisaic legalistic view that we've got to be so consumed with living up to the standards of, of man that we have to worry about it. I just wanted you to have a few compelling thoughts about the wise men so that when you do Christmas trivia around the tree at your family function this year, you can know all there is to know about the wise men. So would you please stand this evening as we read from the holy word of our holy God from Matthew chapter 2. The first 12 verses. And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. But when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented the gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to look into your word during this Christmas season. God, we thank you for the love that is found in Christ alone that we studied this morning. And God, we pray that we would be changed forever by the recognition of the love of that baby. God, help us to look to the wise men this evening and learn about worship from them this, this very night. That we would focus on you and that we would glorify you. And God, it's in your precious name that we pray, as all God's children said. And you may be seated. So we're going to look at a few things that are important about this visit from the wise men. And it's not how many of them there were. It's not even exactly when they visited. It's not even exactly the geographical location of where they visited. We're going to look at the manner of their visit and the things around it and how it relates to the birth of our Messiah. And the first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus, Messiah, is worthy of honor. He is worthy of honor. Of honor. Look at verses 1 and 2 together and you'll see that the Magi, uh, they came into town and they, they had a question. When they got there they said, where is this king of the Jews? Where is this king of the Jews? But they, they went a little more specifically than that. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? Now that's very important that they would state the question exactly in that matter. Because in that area, when they would have come into town and they would have said, where is the king of the Jews? People would have pointed them to Herod because he had achieved that political title as the king of the Jewish area. So he would have been known as the king of the Jews. But they come and said this. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. They were signifying something special about the Messiah. Herod wasn't born king of the Jews. Herod had had to work very hard to become the king of the Jews. But this Messiah was born and already a sovereign king from the time he was born. He, he came to us already as a savior, even as a child. The king of the, the, the worldly king of the Jews, Herod, had to, to, to do things to become 
honored in this way. And he would puff himself up and he would build himself up and he would want everybody to refer to him by his political title. But here, as, as the wise men come into town, they say this, this baby that was born is worthy of the honor because he was born the king of the Jews. He didn't have to do anything once he got here to become the king of the Jews. He already is the king of the Jews and he's worthy of this honor. What is the honor that they're doing? They're coming to pay a visit. They're coming to bring a gift. And they don't want to give a gift to one that doesn't deserve the honor. They want to give the gift to the one that is worthy of that honor. And as that is that sweet, sweet baby Jesus that we see in the manger scene all around Christmas. And so he was born worthy of the honor of the Messiah. Look at something else that's going on with me. They say, we have seen his star in the eastern sky. We've come to worship him. We see something else about this baby is that all nations worship the Messiah. All the nations will worship the Messiah. It's not something that's only revealed to a select uh, area of people. It's not something that's reserved for the Bible Belt in the United States of America. It's not something that was reserved only for the Jewish people of this time. Every single tribe and every single nation will worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Savior, the Messiah, whatever you want to call him. He is going to be worshiped by all the nations. In fact, Every knee is going to bow at some point, and every tongue is going to confess at some point that Jesus is Lord. You want to see the sovereignty of God in the history and in the Old Testament. I want you to just think of something with me. And one of these days, we'll spend an entire sermon on this particular thought. How do you think those wise men... Those magi, those astrologers from Persia, how is it you think they came to even know to be looking for a star? And how is it you think that when they saw the star, they knew that that meant they should start traveling east? Well, I want you to think back with me. About 600 years before this point, when a man named Daniel was a captive in the Babylonian court, under a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And all the Israelites were made slaves. And so God, in his sovereignty and in his just mind-blowing control of all things, God said, all right, my children are captive in a foreign land. But I'm going to use this time in their history when it seems like my hand is off of them and it seems like they're out of my favor I'm going to use this for a bigger purpose here in about 600 years. And so as David, or Daniel, excuse me, as Daniel sat in captivity in the Babylonian court, he would reveal things to the Magi. He would teach them things of the old scripture that had they not been there captive would have never made its way to these Magi. And so they, they had the scripture revealed to them through Daniel's captivity and they studied it and it was handed down and for 600 years these astrologers knew that they were looking for the star of Bethlehem to shine in the eastern sky so that one day when they were sitting there looking I'm assuming through their telescopes I don't know I'm not a Persian magi but I figure they had some kind of something and they're looking and suddenly one of them said hey boys I think that's it and the other one said no that one's not oh yep that one's it that star's shining bright 
Hey, what we need to do, we need to get up and we need to go. Somebody get the gold, you get the frankincense, you get the myrrh, strap it on his back. We're going to Bethlehem because the star has come up. Now, what an amazing God do we serve that he would take captivity some 600 years before that and have Daniel share the scripture with Magi that it would be handed down that sometime later when the Messiah was born, the Magi would go, wait, there's the star. We need to start walking, boys. We've got a baby to go see. Now, maybe that doesn't blow your mind the way it does me, but it absolutely, positively blows my mind. That even the pagans in the east would recognize that this was no ordinary baby being born. And they would go to honor him. So that Messiah, he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our honor. But, but we see something else going on too, don't we? We see creation crying out to the glory of God. They saw a star. It rose up in the eastern sky. If it rose up in the eastern sky, then something had to happen. There was a star that was there in the eastern sky. So these learned men, we said they were magi. These wasn't no joke astrologers, right? They didn't have the 1999 telescope off Amazon, son. They went to the university and had a big one. And they're looking through it, and they studied, and they said, that's the star, that's the one, that's it. It's risen in the sky. These men were learned, and they saw it, they recognized it, and it, was, it must have been spectacular. I don't know about you, but if I was looking for it for 600 years, and I finally realized I'd found it, I'd assume what I was looking at was something special. And so they see this star, and it's something special. Now, I have heard some theories. Now, you know me, I'm a very scientific person. And I've heard theories that what happened was Saturn and Jupiter, they lined up just right. And that's why it was so bright. Is that Saturn and Jupiter lined up just right at the time the Magi was looking in the sky. And that it would only be feasible for Saturn and Jupiter to do that once about every two million years. How about that? I've also heard that it might have been a superstar. A superstar, they believe it might have been the one named Beetlejuice. And the superstar got right up there in the eastern sky. The odds of that happening would only be once in about every 40 million years. And so the odds of either of those things happening pretty slim you know what church I'll tell you what was happening I'm not very scientific but I'm Bible, Bible studied enough to say that in Romans 1:20, Paul writes that we can see the glory in his invisible attributes that even the things that are created are glorified in him what was happening was the creation was crying out to the glory that their creator was coming to be part of the creation <laughs> Think about that. The one that spoke it all into existence. Scripture tells us that in Jesus everything was made and through him all things. And nothing that was made was made apart from him. And so the very thing that had spoke it all into existence said, wait a minute, I'm going to have to go be part of this in order to save it. And when it happened, the very thing that had been spoken to existence said, wait a minute, that's my maker. Let me brighten up a little bit. My Savior's here. My, my maker has come down to dwell among me, and I'm going to glorify him. 
What the wise men saw in the eastern sky was the glory of God. That's what they looked up and saw. They saw the glory of God shining in the sky. Now, it may have been Jupiter. It may have been Saturn. It may have been Betelgeuse. I don't know. But whatever it was, it was doing its dance to glorify God. And it was doing it because God told it to do it. Maybe he used his creation to line up in that way in a one in a million year circumstance. But what I know is what was dancing in that sky was God saying the fulfillment of the prophecies of old is taking place right now. And I'm going to need some star to shine bright in this eastern sky because the Prince of Peace has come to the earth. The Lord of Lords has come down to this earth and the creation was crying out to his glory. God said, I need a star to shine bright. And I believe that probably all the stars would have been quite able to shine bright. But God said, I need a star to shine bright in the eastern sky because this baby that starts in a manger is going to end in a cross. And then he's going to be resurrected and he's going to come and sit on a throne. And then one day he's going to jump on a horse and he's going to go back and he's going to gather my children and he's going to bring them home. And, 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 and I want my star to shine bright because that Savior is being born this moment. And son, I believe that all the stars in the sky started shining up a little brighter and then wise men from way over in Persia said something's going on over there. God's creation is crying out to his glory and my friends when God speaks it and sovereignly God puts it in place even old Beetlejuice gets in line and that's what happened. What else do we see though? Look in verse 3 with me. We see that Jesus is troubling to those who will not worship him. Look at verse 3 with me. Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled. All of Jerusalem with him. You know, Herod had done a, a lot of things to become the king of the Jews. He had endured. He had probably nailed the political scene down, you might say. He had done everything right. Politically, to position himself to be considered the king of Jerusalem, the, the one that, that Rome was allowing to rule. And so he had done a lot of things to become this king of the Jews. Now, as he sat there, having done everything he had done, he wasn't fixing to give up that title to one who was born king of the Jews. That's not something that Herod was willing to let happen. So when these wise men come and they say there's a baby that's born that didn't do everything that you had to do, Herod. He was just born king of the Jews. Herod thought, I ain't losing this title. I ain't fixing to give it up. I'm not sure that I, I can jive with this. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we eradicate this problem before it gets big enough to call me a problem. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll call together all the scribes. I'll call together all the Pharisees. I'll get all the smart Jewish people in this land together and we will find out what's going on. And when he gets them all together, look what happens. It says in verse 4, he gathered the priests and the scribes together. He said, where is this Christ born? And what do they do? 
they go back to scripture, and, and this is scripture from Micah chapter 5. He says, But Bethlehem in the land of Judah, not the least among the rulers, out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They said, This baby, this baby, this Messiah, this one is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, how interesting is it that when Herod calls these learned men together, these very men would affirm that this baby that was being born was the Messiah. But 33 years later, these very men would say that he is claiming to be the Messiah, and they would make that the claim by which they would nail him to a tree. But here they would affirm, yep, that's the Messiah born over in Bethlehem. And Herod is so troubled by the presence of the Messiah. He is so troubled that he develops a plan and he calls the wise men back. He says to them, hey, hey, I've heard from the prophecies that, that this baby was born in Bethlehem. So why don't you, you know, you've been a long way looking for him. When you get there, do me a favor, come back and tell me where he's at. Because I need to go and worship him too. Now obviously Herod had no intention of going to worship this baby. Herod had intention of going to eradicate this child physically if he could. But it really points something out to us, and I think you can all relate to this. When Jesus comes on the scene, there's only two responses. You either worship him or you're troubled by him. You either worship him or you are troubled by him. You ever notice that even atheists who claim to not believe in God find themselves troubled by the presence of Jesus in our lives? You ever notice that? They find themselves troubled when we start to talk about our Messiah, when we say things like, boy, God's been good to me. They want to argue that, don't they? Ain't no God. Well, why if ain't one, why is it bothering you so bad that I think there is? If you're convinced that I'm the fool, just let me live my life worshiping my Savior. You live yours saying I'm wrong, but don't let it trouble you so bad. My friends, I think I've used this example before, but you know that I don't believe in garden gnomes. So when I'm planting my tomatoes, I don't worry myself about them. I don't really believe in the tooth fairy. And so when my children lose a tooth, I don't lock my doors and worry about her coming in. So why in the world, if you don't believe in my Jesus, do you worry yourself about the fact that I do? The problem is that when Jesus is on the scene, you either worship him or you are troubled by him. And that's just the only two places that you're going to be. And so finally, as we wrap up, the last thing we're going to look at from the wise men is that when we worship Jesus, when we're on the scene with Jesus, it is marked by sacrificial giving. These wise men walk out from their meeting with Herod. Actually, before we get into the sacrificial giving, I want to just point something else out to you. Look at verse 9 with me. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, what happened? The what? The star. I want to make sure y'all could read. Good job. The star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, science said 
Remember? Once every two million years. And here in the span of about two months, we see that it's happened twice. Right over the same Jesus. Now, just, I don't know, blows my mind. Anyway, so they get to the house. They get to the house under the star that miraculously appeared twice in two months, but only happens once every two million years. And they walk in, and they see Jesus with Mary. And they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. Church, worshipping God is not something that we can just muster up on our own. It's not something you can fake. It's not something you can pull out of a hat. Yes, you can muster up an emotion and trick me. You can, you can throw Brother Ligon for a loop, raising your hand, and he'll think you're really worshiping. But really worshiping God is not something you can muster up on your own. It is something that happens when you realize the glory of his presence in your life. And when you realize the glory of his presence, you can't do nothing but worship him. That's just what it is. When you realize the magnitude of what's going on and that this Jesus is here and that this Jesus is so special and you think of what Jesus has done, you don't got no choice but to worship him. And you can't, you can't fake that. The wise men see him, they fall down on their face, and they worship him. And then they do something else. They open up their treasures and they presented the gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Not that Jesus needed the gifts or the treasures. Not, not, he didn't need those things. But the Magi were bringing gifts and the value of the gifts that they were bringing signifies the importance of the one who was receiving those gifts. Does that make sense? In that time, as these men would travel across the land to present the gifts, if you were going to present gifts to a peasant, you wouldn't give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You might give a goat. And if you were going to give a present to a king, you would give something like gold or scarlet or purple linen. And so the fact that they bring all of these treasures and lay them to give to this baby shows that they recognize how important that this baby was. That he was no normal baby. That he was worthy of their worship and he was worthy of their sacrificial giving. It was more than that for the wise men and it should be more than that for us. We should still come into the house of God and be so overcome that we say, God, I give my gifts to you. Sacrificially, I give you all I got. Now, for all of us, that varies in what it is. Maybe it's not always financial. I'm not digging for tithes. That's not what this message is about. It's about searching yourself and giving yourself to God. God, I'm going to give you all I got. And when I don't think I got anything more, I'm going to give you that too. I'm going to lay it all at your feet, Jesus. Because really what you're saying is, Jesus, I treasure you more than any possession I have. I treasure you more than anything, Jesus. And I give it all to you. And so church, as we walk through this season of celebration... Let's realize 
that this baby is worthy of our worship. Let's honor the Messiah with what we do. Let's recognize that his creation cries out to his glory. Let's remember that we're either troubled by his presence or we're worshiping in his presence. And let's treasure him more than anything else that we possess. Let us pray. Father God, God, we come to you this evening. Recognizing that when we're in the presence of the Messiah, we're either troubled by you, Jesus, or we respond with worship to you, Jesus. And so throughout this house this evening, God, I pray that you would convict the hearts of your children, God. That if somebody is in their life in a place where they're troubled and sorrowed, that they would come and lay that at your feet. That they might rise up and worship. God, if there is someone here who's never surrendered to you and said, I want to follow you, Jesus. God, would you convict them, pierce them, and save them this evening. God, it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.